0: As they blow the cities, they will crumble
1: into the sea below. Kingdoms and empires are lost to history,
0: but none will forget the names of legends and Hello, everybody, and welcome to episode 5 of
2: Hogcast, the official podcast of the 442nd Fighter Wing. I'm Bob Jennings, the Superintendent of Public Affairs. I'm joined today by Brigadier General Steve Nasty Nester, the commander of the 442nd Fighter Wing, Major Shelley Eccleby, the public affairs officer, and a few legends from the wing who've come back into town this weekend for a special occasion, two of whom are former wing commanders and also went on to be 10th Air Force commanders, and the other is the former wing command
0: chief. General Nesser will introduce the three of them in just a few seconds because right now it's. Time. Hi, Shelly. Um, hi, sir. Welcome back. Um, we are. It's
2: August UTA. Um, we haven't had a UTA in a couple months, and um, we are joined by a few really cool people, and I'll kind of let you introduce <coughs> them, sir. Um, but before that, we just kind of wanted to talk about what we've been doing in Peru, um, kind of the conference that you just got back from, and then we'll transition to the guests that um, we have on today. Awesome. We yeah, have three guests in here, uh, former command chief, Chief Nudd, first name again? Jim. Jim Nudd, yes, sir, sorry. Uh Retired Major General Eric Overturf and retired uh, Major General Brian Morgan. both were 442nd Fighter Wing Commanders. And they're here for uh, Leo Brown's retirement, Chris Barton's retirement, the chief ceremony, and it's, it's good to see you guys back. It's awesome to bring old uh, faces back, and I think people really like like it when people come back for events like this. So thanks for coming in, and we'll, we'll get some storytelling in a bit. Uh, like Shelly said, it's been a busy, busy, busy last two or three months. We didn't have a UTA in July. I don't know if you guys did that, but we, we stopped having UTAs in July and we do a super UTA in April for exercise uh, where we do some kind of exercise to uh, get ourselves ready for deployments and AEFs and it's a yearly kind of thing. And then it gives folks July to be with their families and have vacations. Another thing we do, uh, our CE guys do a, a super UTA once a quarter, a four day UTA so they can get off base and working on heavy equipment. So they do a quarterly. Four day UTA, a two day UTA, another month, and no UTAs, uh, another month. And it's very flexible, and they love it. Uh, they like. They just got back from Aviano, Italy. Had a really good time over there, and and just like at the conference, people said the senior listed leader specifically said people are getting out of the reserves because they they aren't getting to do their mission and they don't get to go Tdy and do fun stuff. So part of our Deal here is I, want, I wanted to get good trips for the wing, right? When I took over, I called up General Suro and Yusefi, and I said, we want to come over to Europe and do something, and please pay for it. <laughs> <laughs> and, and he got us lined up a year ago to do Defender Europe, and that was paid for mostly about 75 or 80% by the Army. We broke down some barriers on how to, to get pay transferred from Army money to Air Force money. And talking to uh, Shania Thompson, the FM at FRC, he said it was kind of groundbreaking for the reserves and, and it'll open up a lot more future joint uh, deployments that, that we can use to how, to how to replicate that to get paid from the uh, from the army or, or marines or joint forces when we're not doing joint exercises so we did uh, spain and greece in um in may took 10 jets over there five at each location great trip i think we discussed that on a previous podcast but it was awesome captain jake smith ran that a young captain mm-hmm. reservist uh, he had his eyes watered on, on how to run uh, and lead a uh, a trip like that. And then we just got done with a, a Peru trip in South America. I believe it was the first ever Air Force Reserve led Air Expeditionary Wing. Colonel Mike Leonis was kind of uh, volunteered to uh, to lead 550 reservists to Peru. It was supposed to be Ecuador and Peru originally, but it ended up just being Peru. Uh, and he did a phenomenal job. General uh, Healy and General Rath, could have been happier with the job that Rio, Keith Yersak, uh, Chico, Chief Urbano, yep. a whole list of folks that went down there from this wing, combined with the Davis-Monthan A-10s. Uh, Colonel Waring was ops group commander from Moody. Folks from 22nd, from 4th Air Force, from 12th Air Force out of uh, Tucson. Uh, unbelievable trip uh, to build partnerships down in South America. The Chinese are down in South America poking around, doing lots of different things with Uh, ports and satellite communications and and influencing the region right and we want to show that we we can do the same and it was a really successful trip so thanks to all those guys for that uh this weekend i just got back from the air force reserve uh wing commanders conference and the 10th air force change of command general torch saber took over for uh, general brian radliff and torch what a you guys probably know her as well or better than I do. I think General Borgen probably hired her. We can talk about that later as a wing commander at Hill. But what a background this lady has is a uh, uh, F-15 Wizzo, uh, F-16 pilot, uh, F-35 pilot. She's flown an AFSOC. She's flown drones. Uh, unbelievable leader. Very approachable. And uh, I'm, I'm looking forward to working. Uh, for and with uh, General Sabrick at 10th Air Force. Part of what came out of that meeting was uh, General Healy, you know, and his top five priorities. I thought it was very interesting that all five of them were out of 10th Air Force, which is the numbered Air Force that the 442nd is in. And the second priority on his list, the first was Homestead, uh, because we own a base down there and an F-16 unit. uh, And the second was Whiteman Air Force Base, the 442nd is his number two priority. So uh, there's a big visit this week. The Secretary of the Air Force, Secretary Kendall, is coming to get a B-2 flight and to see the base. And I, I'm going to have an opportunity to meet him and brag about the 442nd, and we're going to talk a lot about uh, future missions and what that looks like. Currently, for you guys out there, we, we still don't have a program of record post-A-10 and FY28. So uh, four and a half years from now, we're supposed to divest the A-10 and our maintenance and ops personnel. And it's kind of crushing a little bit of our our hiring ability and our ability to retain people. So they know that. Uh, Secretary Kendall will know that. And uh, actually, uh, General Healy is going to meet with him three days after me. So we're kind of on the same page on the message we want to send to Secretary Kendall about uh, the great work this this wing has done uh, since 9-11 and the need to continue that down the road in another platform, whether it's the F-15EX, the F-35, post-block F-16s. We want to maintain a fighter mission here in the 442nd Fighter Wing. Uh, so that'll be fun. Uh, I mentioned two retirements. Uh, Leo Brown, the voice of the 442nds retiring um, in, uh, in a few hours at 1500, and Chris Barton, longtime uh, maintenance crew chief, working in maintenance, senior master sergeant. Awesome. If you've ever seen some of his models that he makes, you guys need to check those out. Uh, but, but we're going to attend both of those this afternoon, and, uh, and uh, we're going to miss both those guys immensely. And then we just had two guys pin on chief at, uh, at 10 o'clock, uh, Tyler Bain. Uh, and Chief Mullen, Brandon Mullen, and uh, both working in maintenance, doing great stuff. And like Chief Berrien said, uh, pretty good turnover of Chiefs uh, in this organization. He's doing a phenomenal job of picking the right people to, to lead and be senior enlisted leaders in this wing. And uh, the future's bright for our, the guys we have leading the enlisted force with those guys. So that's kind of what's going on. My, 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 the things that concern me for the next two months uh, are getting through the rest of the fiscal year uh, uh, monetarily. Uh, We had a little bit of a hiccup with AGR uh, money and over hires of AGRs. We kind of discussed that. We have had to use a little bit of RPA and pull more people onto their AGR tours uh, that were on RPA tours. So we're kind of handling that and get uh, our Jaded Thunder trip in September up to Volk Field completed and doing that. It's going to be a good opportunity, again, paid for mostly by another source of money, revenue from uh, the folks that we're going to be working with up at uh, Volk Field in Wisconsin in uh, Nobody's busier than this wing. Nobody does more than this wing in the whole Air Force Reserves. I mean, it's uh, the accolades I received at the Wing Commander's Conference from General Healy, from General Rather, from General Saber. She's like, I don't know how you guys do what you do. So I wanted to say thanks to the people that made all those trips happen. Uh, I know you had a good time on them. Uh, I did as well when I went to Greece and Spain to see you guys. Um, And that's kind of, I think it helps with recruiting and retention. When we go to cool places and do neat missions, uh, I think it helps retain good talent you hear the of the of war? all right enough of that stuff so turf board chief nud man thanks for coming i appreciate you guys coming back here i, I just wanted to sit down and kind of shoot the breeze with you guys about your careers what it meant to be part of the 442nd rehash the memories of leo brown or, or what i'll start with you turf so you you're a F-22 group commander, you flew the Viper F-16. Uh, what what brought you into coming to the
3: 442nd Fighter Wing? First, thanks for having us here. This is incredible. When I just listen to what you went through with this wing's doing, I go, some things have changed. I think they have a better wing commander now than when I was here, but some things have not changed a bit. The, the way this wing steps up and goes and does missions all around the world, whether it's combat deployments or the kind of training that inspires people like you just described, it is so cool to come back and see it. To be honest, it's a little bit selfish. The reason I came to this wing originally was I wanted to fly the A-10. As you said, I'd flown the F-16 and the F-22 previously, but I always had a little bit of gun envy, I think, and I wanted to go. <laughs> I'd wanted i seen that gun shoot on the ranges before, and I said, I got to If I have any opportunity whatsoever to shoot the gun on the A-10, I want to do it. And as a side note it was every bit as good as I thought it was gonna be the first time I should I it's I think it's the only time on an airplane I've actually just kinda of giggled out loud with joy when I was out at the range shooting that thing. So that's what brought me to Whiteman and i have coming from Alaska, my, my family, to be honest, was not real excited about leaving Alaska They loved it so much. But what ended up making me love this swing the most and my family as well were the the people here. The the people in this mission that bring me back now. That's why we're all back for a special event. There's something about this wing that makes people wanna come back, which is a sign of a great organization. Uh, From the pilots that I gotta fly the airplane with throughout the rest of the wing, you know, as a wing commander, you get the joy of going to every unit on base and seeing what they're doing. And then watching them go through various deployments, and whether it's tragedies or times of great joy, the, watching this wing just bond as a family was just absolutely fantastic, and it hadn't changed coming back. So, long answer for what
2: brought me here originally. Good. I, I know your wife, Carla, and board, your wife, Mary, were both very big parts of this wing. You lived on base, both of you guys, when you were wing commanders. I don't. I'm a TR wing commander. Part of me wishes that in a little way that I did live on base. My wife was here. I think she would enjoy that a lot. And you, both your spouses did great stuff. And your daughter's a pilot. Tell us a little bit about that. Yeah, she kind of got inspired by uh, a flying here. She was
3: going through middle school into high school. She went to an obnoster uh, high school here. And uh, some of the people there had already signed up for the UCM aviation program, great aviation school out there. And that was the first time that she really came home and said, maybe I'll think about this flying thing and I'm like have you not been watching me go to work in flying uniforms my entire life but there's something about kids you know they'll, they'll listen to their friends sometimes more than uh, their family that planted the seed and it's gone on to where she uh, has got uh, about a thousand hours of jet time now with SkyWest and she's uh, interviewing with major airlines right now uh, in fact one coming up on Tuesday so. with United huh yeah United's coming up on Tuesday so good well, we'll good luck
2: to her that would be great. Um, and Borg, Borg also has a son that flies in the, in the in the used to be part of this wing. The, the DM Forty Seventh guys. He's flying out to, with the Bulldogs. Uh, it's interesting. A lot of people in this wing have children that stay and come to this wing. That tells me a lot. That parents of kids encourage their kids. The Bryant's we interviewed last UTA. Uh, lots of different families that have multiple generations of, of people. My dad was in this mm-hmm. wing. Uh, in the 90s as a vice wing commander, uh, Jimmy Mack's son. But uh, I know, Vorg, you were fape, and and, boy, you had a desire to come to the 442nd wing from the moment you started on active duty and you came up here in 38, almost every UTA, for, for how many years
0: to get hired? Yeah, actually, they uh, they offered me a job on the first one. They didn't have a slot. And they told me, yeah, that's what I tell the young folks today. They say, uh, you know, they said there's no chance. They're not hired right now. And they said, well, they all say that. You gotta, you gotta kind of step it up and do what we call rushing, as you know. And uh, you know, it's, uh, it was, I think, 22, 23 trips I did. I went to more UTAs than most of the guys here. Uh, and I had a boss on active duty that allowed me to take the thirty eight pretty much anytime I wanted because I was open straight with him and said, "This is what I'm trying to do." So he said, "Yeah, you know, do your job. You can take a job, when you need to go, go do some training on the weekends." And, and I, I found this place to be. Uh, exceptionally special uh, from the moment I got here I, I, I looked at other units because you have to but I knew where I wanted to be and part of it was I'm from Kansas originally so I was close to home we live in Missouri now as our primary home because the people here are just incredible and it's, it's as soon as you get back in the Midwest you just see a difference in how you're treated by, uh, by folks and when we get to our place at the Lake of the Ozarks my wife and I talk about it all the time the door greeters at, the, at Walmart are happy because uh, they're just nice people. And they, they, uh, they really enjoy living here. And that was part of it for us. You know, we're Midwestern people. And, uh, my son, kind of like Turf was talking about, you know, he goes all the way through college. He did great in college. It's his senior year, and he said, I, I want to do this flying thing. And I go, well, thanks for telling me now when I can't get any money out of it. Um, and, and he uh, successfully got hired and is doing great. He's a, he's a flight lead out at at, uh, and a lieutenant still out at, uh, at, Davis month, and we're going out there tomorrow, actually, and we're going to see him. He's got his second baby on the way. So, um, we're grandparents now, too. So, we're all getting older.
2: Good. And for both you guys, best job you ever had in the Air Force, what, what would you say it was?
3: Well, that's a tough...
2: Yeah. I, I tell you, maybe
3: it's because I've been retired for a while, but all the jobs get a little bit better the longer I, <laughs> I've been retired. Isn't that true? For me, I'm the kind of guy where the happy memories certainly overwhelm the bad memories but i do you know you're probably going to think it's a canned setup, but i was not asked this before but honestly this job and this wing was the best job i had because it was the the, the last job where i had a direct connection with airmen where i could after that you know i moved on to certainly important jobs where i think i did some things that i'm proud of it tell us
2: tell us what you did after this for
3: the reserve yeah i left the the wing here and went to the Air staff, so at the Pentagon, working in operations, a job uh, area where Borg also worked later. Where you're in the, you're in the place where the overall Air Force, total total force, Guard, Reserve, and active duty, the operational part of it, which is the majority of the war fighting, where it happens. You make the decisions on how people deploy, how they are equipped, what kind of uh, force structure we're going to present, how we're going to be the meanest. Fighting force to scare enemies as possible. So is that the
2: same job General Sabert just came out of? She was in the yes. A three as well. Okay. She, she was an
0: MA. She replaced me when I left. So she so you was. worked there. Yeah. yeah. It, it, she was an MA two to three. Okay. Uh, so that was her principal at that point. A three O is where you were at, yeah. right? and A three O is a huge portion of the A three overall structure.
2: So you did that, and then you were the MA to the chief. Was that right after that, or did you do uh, another so job?
3: I did that. That's about as good as life gets in the Pentagon, but as you'll hear in a minute, it's not as good as being here. Then <laughs> went from there down to Langley Air Combat Command, where uh, we've always, Guard and Reserve units, we've needed some advocates at Air Combat Command to just be in the room when that uh, four-star is making decisions about uh, what our forces do. And then went from there back up to be the... Uh, Mobilization assistant to the Chief of the Air Force Reserve to uh, General Scoby, who is, we started out as lieutenants together at Ramstein. So we were, you know, I've known him my entire career. And in that job I did, uh, kind of backed him up whenever he was out of town and also did some senior officer management for him. So that's what I did after I left. So, so
2: yeah, like, that job you run the, what we call the GEO portfolio, there's 51 stars and 25 two stars. And when you had that job i was uh the vice here and, and you called me up and said hey i i need you to go to pacaf to hawaii and i was like sir I, general borgen said i might be the wing commander here at whiteman someday I don't, I don't really want to leave uh and and you said no this is probably a pretty good opportunity for you and i, I did not want to leave and i talked to both you guys and uh, uh, nato heck and jimmy mac just to get some advice and uh, anyway it was the right move for me so thanks for that. Job, number one. Uh, and number two, I, I didn't think I'd ever get the chance to come back to the 442nd Fighter Wing, but uh, one thing led to another. A couple guys uh, maybe screwed up or didn't have an opportunity, didn't want to come back here. I won't tell the whole story. Uh, and I got the opportunity to come back. And I, like you, I always thought the 303rd Fighter Squadron Commander job was the epitome of my life, right? Uh, taking jets to combat and leading fighter pilots. I have been able to affect people in such a way in this job that far exceeds that. And I had no idea what half the people in this wing did until I got in this job, from CE to LRS to security forces. And that's why I tell the pilots all the time. I'm like, man, there are some great stories and great airmen in this wing. And pilots tend to be a little self-centered, right? Which is a good thing when you're flying a jet, but it's not good when you want to lead. Airmen, right, lead enlisted airmen uh, and people. I got a kick out of helping people make chief or go to UPT or, or whatever uh, in the wing, and this is by far the, the most fun I've
0: had uh, leading people. How about you, Board? Yeah, I, I was so fortunate. I got to be a OSF commander here, a squadron commander here. I was TURSO G for a period of time here, and then uh, I did the vice job for about six months for NATO and, uh, and then took the wing. Uh, I think it's pretty obvious that uh, all of those jobs were incredible. It was, uh, it was hard to leave here when I did. And I remember when you went to Hawaii after you were there about a year, you were talking to me about the Wing Command and mean, I don't know whether I want to leave this Hawaii gig. It's a pretty good deal. <laughs> so uh, I, I think that's what happens. You got, and you open your mind up. But wing Command here was incredible. But for me, I remember being very nervous about taking that job in particular because I grew up here. And, uh, and I talked to NATO about that a lot. I said, you think this is smart because, you know, everybody knows where the bodies are buried, quite frankly. So it, it turned out to be a, a wonderful, wonderful job. And it's it's probably neck and neck uh, with with the 10th Air Force Command job. And I'll tell you the reason why is because I got to come back here and fly. Uh,
2: That's a cool. And the job, I'll tell a story. Um, when you went down to 10th Air Force the first time to be the three, I believe, mm-hmm. and that uh, Actually, Turf knows the story, too. One of our colonels kind of had a, a slip-up, and he, he was supposed to go to Afghanistan and be the deputy OG. Yeah. And then and now all of a sudden, he, he kind of gets fired, and he can't go. Uh, and Borg's like, well, I'll go. And and he goes over to Afghanistan to be the deputy OG at, at Kandahar. And I was a squadron commander there, so I kind of worked for General Borg. And, and uh, the wing commander at the time there was a guy named Big Deal, General Deal. And he was going to go up from Kandahar to Bagram to be the wing commander up there. And we moved our A-10s from Kandahar to Bagram. It's called a cast reset. And it's a long story. But he, he liked Borg's style and leadership so much. He, Borg, I think it was 90 days you are supposed to go there for. Yeah. He said, hey, uh, hey, Borg, how about you go up to Bagram with me and be my OG for another, what, eight months? Yeah, roughly. Yeah. How would you like to call your wife? thinking you're on a 90-day deployment and go, Honey, I'm not going to be home for another eight months. Uh, I just decided to stay here. So I think that propelled your career, right?
0: It, it certainly had an impact on it because it was a busy fighting season. And uh, what I found out was that uh, when, we, when we push guys out to go do things like you did in, in Hawaii, like you did out at, uh, at Suffolk in the joint arena – it opens your eyes to what's going on. And I will tell you, I was woefully behind my peers in that job. And it was apparent to me. And I just pretty much worked 24 hours a day. Crew rest was, because I, I didn't want to fail. But it, it really taught me how important it is to get out and understand the Air Force as a whole. Because if you're placed in a position like that and you're not as qualified as you should be, it's a struggle. And I love that job. Uh, but it's the hardest I've ever worked in my life. And that's including bucket of hay on the farm. You know, yeah. It, it was a tough job, but it was, it was fulfilling. You talked a little bit nasty about, uh, and I know you're a gregarious guy, um, you talked about the ability to affect airmen's lives, and I think the wing is certainly uh, a perfect place to do that, and it's, it's still small enough with 800 to 1,000 people where you pretty much can get to know most of them, and you can really get internalized into their, what, what makes them uh, tick and what their needs are. I saw at 10th Air Force, we had roughly 20,000 people, and we were on the road about 70% of the time, and you get to take that same capability with with your team, and I had the chief with me on everything. I've, I've been blessed. One of them's here. I've been blessed with having the greatest chiefs in every job that I've been in. It's just been phenomenal. And we got to go out and affect those things, and we had a system where, you know, if someone had a problem, we took that note down, and then we had someone get back with them directly.
2: And so that impact...
0: And the fact that they know you care, um, it, it's, it's very gratifying to be able to affect someone in a, in a positive way. As Turf said, I, I don't, I remember some of the bad things that went on through all those jobs because some of them were pretty prolific. Sure. Uh, but what I really remember are, are the, uh, the good things that went on in every, every job that was there. I, the last job I had was uh, was my least favorite, it was at the Pentagon. And uh, I, I don't think it's just because it was the Pentagon. I think it's the times we're in, in terms of, of shortages of money, and uh, you felt like you were failing every day, because we just couldn't get things done, and it was that was tough. My wife talked to me, and you know, she to your point, I, I, that phone call from Afghanistan was difficult. I bet. Uh, and she was very supportive, but uh, I think she might still be a little pissed off <laughs>
2: I heard, if you if you guys YouTube it out there, I, I, I heard a speech from General Welsh. He used to be chief at the Air Force Academy when he was telling a story about leading airmen as you safety commander. And he went through 15, 20 pictures of airmen and told the story of each person. And the whole premise of his speech was, you're getting ready to go lead as Air Force Academy graduates. If you don't know the airmen's story, you can't lead them, right? And uh, that's why we do this, to hear people's story in the wing. So everybody in the wing can get to know each other a little better, and then and then I I find it valuable to to lead airmen. Um, all right, Chief Nud. Chief Baring does not like to do these podcasts. He's shy. He hasn't been on one. So you're the first command chief we've had. We had Chief on, but not a command chief. Talk to me about like your 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 career, uh, and a command chief role, like. Most of them, not all, a lot of them are AGRs now, but you were a TR command chief, right? Yes, sir. Um, and, and what was your background before that?
1: Well, it was kind of a varied and mixed background. I started out as an ammo troop. Okay. Um, and was, wh- where? Um, my first base was an A-10 base, RAF Bentwaters, England. Sweet. Proudly served on uh, six squadrons A-10s, the uh, largest fighter wing in the world at the time. Uh, from there, I transitioned to Hill Air Force Base with the F-16s, did a stint in Desert Shield, Desert Storm, got short tour credit for that. Went back to hill for another three years um england really grew on me a lot of family heritage there um so i volunteered to go back and i got stationed at raf Neath with the f-15s and uh during that tour there that's where uh, i became friends with a lot of people in the 442nd at aviano Air Base. um worked with worked with the ammo troops there in 1995 and a lot of them like i said became real good friends a lot of them off duty um and uh, they tried to coax me back in 1995 to, to join the 442nd. Uh, I was like, ah, I'm having too much fun. And then, uh, post Lake and Heath, I got stationed at RF McConnell. And it was B 1s and tankers. And I saw the B 1s uh, transition to the Air National Guard. Um, I was the only active duty uh, ammo troop left after the, the transition. And the Air National Guard came a call and said, hey, you quit moving around so much and join our team. So I kind of liked what I saw with the Air National Guard. It was my first initial immersion into military and family kind of rolled into one. Um, I did that for about four years and then I retired and just went straight civil service. And uh, as fate would have it, I'm uh, a civilian at Headquarters Air Mobility Command and we're having a big safety conference. And in uh, pilot terms, I was a, a glorified snacko for the conference. And a guy shows up in a fighter pilot suit with a A-10 patch on. So I immediately beelined over, and it was uh, Pat Murphy, Lieutenant Colonel Pat Murphy, <laughs> and we started talking. And he goes, "What are you doing?" And I said, "Well, I said I'm a civilian here at AMC, and as luck would have it, I'm at Fourth Air Force running their weapons safety program." But Fourth Air Force was downsizing, and Colonel Murphy says, "Here's your second chance to join the 442nd." And uh, I wasn't going to let that slip and hope for a third time, so. Uh, Colonel Murphy brought me to the 442nd, um, worked for Colonel Clemens for about two years. I'm Pen- sorry. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm still a little PC, so I'll pass on that and move on to the next one. And then uh, as fate would have it, a lot of the friends and um, relationships I made over the years, I uh, got a call and asked to come to the Pentagon, where I think we all ended up spending quite a bit of time, and I was uh, basically the chief of the contingency cell for munitions as a, as a chief? As a chief. But
2: you're a TR, you're living in Utah?
1: I was living in uh, St. Louis at the time. St. Louis. Scott still as a civilian. What was so, your civilian job? So oh. I was the deputy chief of weapons safety for Air Mobility so Command. DOD
2: civilian Yes. Job. We talk about statuses. They talked about it a lot at the conference and the ability for air, enlisted or officers to change status. I know, Turf, were you an art ever? Never an art. But, but a lot ever. of AGR, a lot of active duty time, correct? Correct. Uh, and Borg was an art. Uh, and... and being able to change statuses within the reserves is, is the key to people's success in their careers. Yeah, and it was easier in
1: the reserves than it was in the National Guard because I think it's called accepted civil service in the National Guard. So I was a, a WS employee there. And when my civilian job moved me to Scott, it wasn't a simple transition. You don't have half the privileges of priority placement or, or the clearing house or anything like we have in the reserves. Sure. So I had to kind of find my own. I actually went to the IR for two years, and that was when Fourth Air Force came calling, and that's how I ended up jumping back into the service. So I, A lot of people make fun of me for retiring like three times out of the, the military, but I was technically retired from the Air National Guard. When I when I joined the reserves, joined back in the reserves. yeah, I was like 39 years old, and the recruiter called me up, and I said I'm too old, and they said no, you're young by reserve standards. So <laughs> yeah, you mentioned
2: Aviano, I was started going to Aviano 94, and I called my dad up, and and I go, this is pretty pretty cool, low threat, hyper more. I'm getting 75 bucks a day, staying in a five star hotel, but little did I know that. In, six years or so we'd be living in tents with the uh, mosquito netting around us and yeah. eating MREs for the rest of my career. You guys
1: were in Pianca <laughs> I was in the tents on the golf course. Yeah.
2: <laughs> okay yeah we were in Pianca which was unbelievable. It's glorious. Uh, so, yeah
1: so anyways fast forward two years go by sir and uh, I get a call from General Overture saying hey how would you like to come back and be my command chief and I said I'd absolutely love it. A small town guy from upstate New York and uh, like I said, nothing nothing meant more to me than my time here at Whiteman that's going to kind of answer one of your follow-on questions um, because a lot of similarities between the, the people here in the 442nd and a small town. Everybody knows your name, kind of a play off the cheers song. Sure. Um, and it was the same here. Even coming back six, seven years after retirement, you see all these young kids that you, you were able to influence their path and seeing him in key positions now, like like you mentioned today. Um, seeing you, so, TURF hired you, and then did you work for so NATO, fun, too? Funny story is, as I was going out the door, he gave me my senior non-commissioned officer of the year plaque as I was out processing. <laughs> and then I, I came back and worked for him for his the short amount of time he had left, and then uh, I inherited NATO, General Hegvet. And you were
2: Borg's command chief, too? For about
1: his first year, maybe. About a
2: year. Yeah. And then you hired Lisa Fergus. Yep. Yeah. Okay.
1: So, um I leave here, I put my retirement paperwork in, and uh, maybe a month or so before my retirement, General Borgen, I got a phone call. There were some needs at Luke Air Force Base, so I kind of, General Scobie worked some magic for me, I pulled my retirement paperwork again, and I went down and and worked for uh, Colonel Cook and... All of my career there, got him set up. Got him a great command chief. The, the gentleman we hired went on to be Borg's command chief. At, um, Chewy
2: Cook, you worked for Chewy Cook? Opie, no. Opie. Opie, Opie Cook. Opie, Cook, Opie Cook, guy, he's great guy.
1: Yeah. And the guy before him, Wavos. Colonel goes. There's a lot of a story, legend. Huevos yeah. yeah, yeah. is a legend. So, but uh, long story short, is uh, since we brought family into the equation, uh, my daughter uh, was joining the reserves. Heavily inf- tried to influence her via be an ammo troop, and she said, "Dad, I can't do that." She goes, "I'm gonna, I want to make my own foot, put my own." footprints in the sand not necessarily follow yours so much so she went on to be a, an aeroporter a 2t2 and she did it for about four years and then she got commissioned um general borgen commissioned her uh, she graduated with matt the same class that's cool and they're actually currently stationed together at dm in the same unit my daughter's intel now and so she's working on there and i still think of the the chance encounter that she had with uh, general overturf yeah. in korea she's sitting at the bx at osan eating her lunch and she looks over and she's sitting next to a two-star and she goes i think i know him and so she runs back into the hallway and calls me I said, go say hi
2: to him so she went over and the next thing you know they struck up a conversation and she probably got some uh, mentoring from her. you guys i mean you don't realize it but like like mentoring airmen what you probably did on the enlisted side what you two guys did but like when i would when i was squadron commander, pre-squadron commander. I still remember U-Turf when I got my ODP or whatever, and you're like, hey, Nasty, you've won the wars. It's time to go win the staff, right? And uh, I still remember that. And you were right, just like Borg said, like I, when I went to PACAF, I was not real intelligent on A, how staff worked, but B, the mission that they did daily, the competition between China and the United States on a daily basis just blew my mind. Uh, and, I learned more in the 11 months I was at PACAF than any other job I've ever had about f thirty five F-22s, intercepts, ROEs, uh, how the three Indo-Pay-com and COCOMs work together and, and just unbelievable amount of, of knowledge that I was able to learn by going to that job. They just yeah. don't get here. It's abs- It's I think of it as just an extension
3: of taking care of our airmen because really getting the mission done is about taking care of the airmen and then just getting the heck out of the way and letting them run with it. And if I talk to someone who wants to leave the unit, I'm really suspicious. I am too. If you would have said you wanted to leave the unit, I
0: probably would have moved on to someone else to maybe go to bigger and better. League. Yeah, we actually had a conversation when I was going to 10th Air Force the first time I worked for, for as leading the squadron. And I went to him about that job over in the uh, And he goes, just shut up and go do your staff tour like you're supposed to. And then I get a call from him about three months later. And he's like, hey, can you go to Afghanistan? <laughs> yeah. But, but you, he, I, I'm with him. If someone says they want to leave the unit program, I'm, I'm a little curious what their, their overall leadership qualities are going to be. Sure. I, they're pursuing their
3: own career and right. not the
0: airmen, but really the,
3: the reason you have to go do these staff things is now you're not taking care of individual airmen or individual units. You're taking care of thousands of airmen. If you do your job right, That's and make it take like it right. easier for. Him. What I what
2: I like to stress, like I had newcomers this morning, and uh, one story that hit me was a guy coming back from COVID that we kicked out with an LOR, and I apologized profusely to him. He's back. We've had four or five come back from COVID, which is awesome. But secondly, like like. Uh, how many opportunities in the reserves that there are for these folks that don't like the one guy he was at Carswell, but it's, he's closer to this base. So he wants to drill up here. He's an ammo guy for maintenance too, I believe. And um, a lot of them don't know, understand the IMA world and different ways to serve and keep serving. Maybe do an IMA job for a couple of years and, and you're busy with raising kids and you throttle back or you change statuses and you want to do something else. And then you jump into another wing somewhere else. There's all kinds of jobs worldwide in the Air Force Reserves. At USAFE, at PACAF, um, here, uh, at Scott like like a lot of opportunities that I didn't really know about, um, but I, I like when people go out, like a guy that lives down by Cannon Range, I go, you know, we have 11 positions down there, you can work down there as well. So so you came back chief, as the command chief, and then after that, what'd you do over in USAFE? So over in USAFE, I was actually the um, division chief um, or weapon Safety and
1: Nuclear surety for both USAFE and F-Africa. As a civilian? Yes, sir. So I ran the division, had nuclear, conventional, and weapons loaders all working for me, and actually um, connected with General Searle a couple times um, on business that we were dealing with over there. And it was uh, one of my predecessors, the gentleman I took over was actually another. His wife was a member of our unit, Brian and Carol Tripp. I took over for, yeah. for BT. So uh, the networking from Whiteman, no matter where you go in the world, there's always a connection. And uh, so he kind of linked me up said, hey, you really got to consider this job. You're the right person, the right time, the right fit. So uh, I met him down in Warrensburg. We had breakfast. And then after the conversation, I actually threw my name in, in the hat for the job. And uh, I was lucky enough to get picked up for it. But it was uh, it was an exciting three years. you really make your was, way to
2: Oktoberfest?
1: Um, the very first year. Then after that, it was canceled for the next two years because COVID. of COVID. So we had COVID. We had the Afghan refugees, and then I had almost the first year of the UK, Ukraine
2: crisis going on. So it was a busy time over there. Good stories from this wing. I interviewed them. They, uh, they didn't want their names. We'll call them um, Harry and Lloyd from Dumb and Dumber. Um, two airmen that volunteered to go to USAFE for six months, not knowing what the job was. The first guy was going to be a weapons dude. so he, he his job was to— uh,
1: He worked across the street from me.
2: Yes, you know who it is. He logistically got the weapons— he did such a good job they wanted him to stay for two or three years Uh, and he but he couldn't because of his family but he did an awesome job. the other guy was a security forces guy that ended up being with a LRO sent to Romania got his own Black Hawk helicopter and he would deliver weapons to the Ukrainians like in the middle of the night this like black ops stuff this is a security forces guy from the 442nd that is in charge of running convoys to the Ukrainians to deliver weapons Uh, just like from a volunteer deployment deal. Do uh, you know I had Thor in our office too, right? Uh, Thor Shelton. Yeah. yeah. So he was over there as an IMA yep. to further reinforce your story about the IMAs and yeah. the opportunities. So we, we, I said, hey, man, he, he was at the end of his flying career, I he, his wife's from Italy. He kind of started up a safety deal at Naviano and, and he, he's a smart, smart guy. Uh, so yeah, I was glad to see him get a job over there. It was awesome.
1: Ones. Of course, COVID kind of limited his uh, ability to come over and drill with us because of the country rules. Yeah. And then right after he left and we had Chaplain Hayden come over. So he's an IMA over in USAFE right now.
2: Good. Good. So you guys got any, um any Leo Brown stories for me or how many, how many change commands, retirements you guys sat through that Leo's led?
3: You know, the voice of the 442nd is completely accurate. Uh, it's funny. I'll talk to people and I'll when I told him I was coming out here, they go. I don't remember Leo Brown. Then I'll say, Do you remember this ceremony in the? They go. Oh yeah, I remember that guy. But his, uh, it wasn't his voice at ceremonies that I remember the most about him. It was his voice dealing with airmen in need. On the, you know, I say I remember all the, the happy times, but there are some tragic moments with any leadership uh, position. We had some fatalities in the in the wing. Just some like the tractor rolls over on someone. He's just someone who's not expecting it out of the blue passes away and that just sends ripples, not only through a unit, but through his family. And watching Leo Brown, he just had the amazing capacity to treat someone with genuine grace and dignity, but also such a caring heart to make them feel comforted. And honestly, he could do it. He could be kind of chewing out an airman who needed a good kick in the butt or comforting a person in horrible sorrow and he's the best I've ever seen at doing that. Just, I get kind of choked up thinking about it, but that's, yeah. that's what I'm here for.
0: Yeah, he, he, I hired him as my first shirt as a squadron commander, and he is actually working for the USF, because uh, that's where the predominance of the, the, our enlisted folks were, but uh, they, he considered himself working for the entire squadron, and I got a vote in that respect. Um, what, what Turf said is absolutely right. I mean, having that calming voice a guy that genuinely cares, he teaches school at a Catholic school in Kansas City, and his students absolutely love him for the same reasons that Dirk talked about, that I talk about. Um, I was I was so honored that you know, he made a point to call and say, hey, I'm retiring, can you make it? Uh, it means a lot to, to both me and Mary, uh, that we get to be a part of this day for him. He's a, he's a special human being. Funny story, I used to, when I was young fighter pilot, I think when Leo was our
2: shirt, <laughs> Uh, Leo, you, you teach Catholic high school. Any chance I can come up there, brief? You know, I give a great speech to your class. Love to meet some of the high school students. And he goes, "You were never going to be invited <laughs> to my high school." Uh, and then now I still give my. I go, "Hey, I'm uh, I'm a wing commander and I'm a general. Can I come up?" And he, he's kind of he's kind of laughing. So, Leo, if you're listening, um, the offer still stands. Will so come up and and I promise it'll be. It'll be PG-13. Um, well, that's great. Thank You guys don't know what it what it means when, when people hear Chief Nud's back or, or Turf's back or Borg's back. Man, people get excited uh, to see you guys come back because uh, you mentored a lot of people here. You meant a lot to the wing. Both you guys in particular, um, man, when you move up in rank, probably Chief Nudd as well, um, you have to sacrifice your civilian job sometimes. Sometimes you do it for less pay. I know Turf uh, and board. maybe you too, you could have had your retirement three or four years before you retired as far as the pay, right? Oh, absolutely. And you do it because you love it. And, and that's. I had to do a pilot meeting this morning uh, for some unfortunate incidents that have happened in 10th, and we did not fly this weekend. And, and, and I talked a little bit. Our pilots have been great. We don't have any discipline problems. But um, I kind of told them, like... It, you guys, there's three types. There's three laws in leadership i said. There's, um, there's people that will run for a wall with you. About a third of them will run through the wall for you if you're leading them, right? About a third of the other people are undecided. They're just watching the, the, the leaders, the alpha males and the females in the room and deciding what they're going to do. And then there's another third of people that you'll never make happy, no matter what happens. But those are the, also the people that you kind of need to get out of your organizations because they're kind of toxic. And so that's why I told those guys in the room, if, if you – if if you're done deploying, if you don't want to fly here anymore, I know who you are. You can tell the people that bring down the energy in the room when they come into the squad. And there's people that lift it up. If you don't, be honest with yourself and with the guys in the room. Don't. We're trying to get another fighter mission here. We got guys busting their their ass, and, and we want people that want to be here. And we don't want people that are toxic in this organization, that do stupid stuff, uh, that that hurt the chances of the Air Force Reserve keeping fighters uh, down the road. So. So uh, you guys mentored me a lot. I appreciate that. Appreciate you coming in and sharing some stories. And, and thanks for what you did not only for the 442nd, but for the Air Force and the Air Force Reserve uh, Command. And your how many years of service did you have? 37. How about you, board? Uh, 34. 33. Amazing.
0: Amazing. That's awesome. Uh, anything to add in closing? Just thanks for letting us be here. It's, uh, it's always a joy to come back. Seeing so many people, it's all one week for us. It's, it's a great time. Good turf. Yeah, just thanks for having us and
3: for this wing. Keep doing what you're doing. This wing is the best I've ever seen at getting the combat mission done, going down range and getting the J.O.B. done. Uh, just keep doing it. Don't let all those outside uh, let Nasty handle all that stuff coming from the outside. You just keep doing what you're doing.
1: Awesome. Chief? Uh, easy, sir. Same comments as the generals. Um, just love coming home. Thanks for the warm, warm welcomes and not forgetting who we are. And keep kicking ass, guys. Gales.